Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 4, Oh the Horror. Hey, hey, I'm Chris McBride, along with Yance Eaton, and this is Pop Goes Your World, a pop culture podcast for the generations. This week, we're going to be taking a look at horror movies, so this ought to be fun. One of my favorite genres of all time is definitely the horror, so we're going to have a lot of fun. But before we get started, Yancey, what's going on, brother? Uh, not a whole lot. I did a ton of research this week for the uh, for the Oh, the Horror episode. I do have to say, just like last week, there's a little bit of a recurring theme here where I think this is going to be something that you're going to be a little bit more knowledgeable about than I am, but I'm still pretty excited to talk about it. Well, I'm, I'm interested that you're saying that because to me, like I did a little bit of research myself, and, and what I noticed was millennials tend to gravitate towards horror films when it comes to going out to the movies. I, I, I read something mm-hmm. um, where they go to see more horror movies than any other genre. So horror seems to be like right in your wheelhouse, I would think, or certainly in your generation's wheelhouse. So do you watch lots of horror movies? You like them? I don't watch a whole ton. Um, most of my life, I was the type of person where I just... I, I the, the earliest memory I have of like horror movies was I was 15 years old and a, my whole group of friends, like 10 or 15 of us, were all going out to the movies. And I can't remember which X-Men movie it was that was releasing that year, but everybody's saying, oh, we're going to go see the new X-Men. We're going to see X-Men. And you know that's what I told my mom that I was going to go do. And we got there. And I remember specifically it was on – it was June 6th, right? Mm-hmm. So it was on 666 of 2006. And so oh, it was that the was new the, Omen. It was the yeah. Omen. It was released midweek on a Tuesday. I remember that. I, I, I don't even know why I remember that because it was so schlocky. It was such a, it was such a marketing ploy. To release yep. it on six six six, it wasn't even on a on a Friday or even a Thursday when it came out. And that way, let me tell you, if you this is a, this is gonna be you know this is just gonna be another thing to tick me off because here's the thing: that's a remake of a movie from the seventies that was actually it wasn't even all that that great you know of a movie when it came out. It was with Gregory Peck, but then like why remake it? Why? Right. Like, there's no reason to remake the the film. And right. It was just it yeah. was just a money grab essentially. Yep. But the the moral of the story, the 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 ending to that re- the result to that story rather was that I ended up watching X Men by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that that goes to show like the level of of dedication that I have to horror movies. But right. I'll say this: the last couple of years, my wife is a huge fan of the genre, and she's really introduced me to just a ton of movies that I'd never seen before. Even if I don't like them, Good. they're still so relevant. That yes. You kind of have to dig in a little bit and see some of them. But I, I agree, and it's we're definitely a great topic. Before we get started, I just want to mention one little. Thing thing as an aside um have you you have netflix i'm going to assume i do um, and have you uh, watched stranger things i have not okay you've heard of it um it sounds familiar but i, I can't okay. I it's, say what it's it, about. It, it takes place in like 1980 and so it's kind of right on the cusp of 70s and 80s stuff so it's like totally in my wheelhouse and it's these like four kids that are hanging out and then like one of them goes missing and there's all this weird kind of bizarre stuff with like a government with the government lo- locally like they're doing some experiments or something like that i'm only three episodes in so if anybody's out there on twitter or email don't don't spoil it for me please don't give me any spoilers only three episodes in here's the problem that i'm having with it i absolutely love it like i say it's right in my wheelhouse my mm-hmm. wife hates it 
She can't stand it. <laughs> so I'm like, well, 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 what do you mean you don't like it? She's like, after the first episode, she's like, I don't like this show. So my wife, full disclosure, is a little bit younger than me. So she doesn't quite appreciate, you know, the, the Gen X stuff the way I do. And she's like, I just don't like it. She goes, I can see why you like this. But she goes, I just think, I just think it's dumb. I'm like, what are you talking about? She liked Lost. So I'm like, I thought she'd kind of like that mysterious, weird stuff that's going on. No. Mm-hmm. So, Not so a now, fan. now, no, every night I'm like convincing her. Oh, honey, you know, if I make you like your favorite dinner and like I rub your feet for you and bring you wine, do we get to watch an episode of Stranger <laughs> Things? And she's like, no, no. So it's, ah, so it's, anyway, that's a real problem for you. But that's neither here nor there. We'll get into Stranger Things a lot more, I'm sure, as the episodes go on. But for right now, you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's go. And everyone knows how much I love Fonzie. I don't know if you've seen any of the Sharknado movies. Shatner and Takei are going to be there. I cannot believe that this is actually possible. The Star Wars prequels were awful. Young Doctors in Love. Young Doctors in Love. Bad CGI kind of starts and ends with George Lucas. Some of the worst CGI I have ever seen in my entire life. He ruined the whole original trilogy by superimposing Hayden Christensen over Sebastian Shaw at the end of Jedi. Okay, so this week we're going to be counting up from five to one our favorite horror movies of all time. We'll go back and forth again. I thought the format worked really, really good. So Yancey, why don't you start us off? We're going to we're going to talk about horror movies tonight. So what's your number five horror movie of all time? All right, just as a preface, I intentionally tried to make all of these horror movies relatively recent. So something that came out within the last 10 or 15 years, just stuff that I had seen whenever I was a kid that came out, that type of thing. So, you know, if I don't say The Shining, I don't want to get a whole bunch of hate mail and stuff because I understand that it's a very, very good horror movie. But you're the millennial, right? So you have to, you know, you have to represent, you got to represent. I am representing my generation. Exactly. See, I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. Yes, word. Okay, so the first one, uh, number five for me, is The Cabin in the Woods from 2012. Have you seen it, Chris? Uh, No, I have not. Okay, this, uh, it's directed by Drew Goddard. He's actually the, he's the same guy that wrote Cloverfield, another movie that I love. And uh, it was also co-written by, uh, I can't remember the exact name, uh, I think it's Joss Whedon. The, the guy who wrote Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And um, and wasn't Drew Goddard also involved in Alias and Angel and stuff like that? I believe so, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm yeah. familiar with him, yep. All right, so uh, this movie had very, very mixed reviews upon its release. But, uh, you know, critically, it was kind of mixed. From a general public standpoint, it was kind of mixed. It starts off as, like, your very stereotypical movie where, you know, a bunch of teens. You know, there's, like, the hunky white guy. There's, like, the reserved, you know, girl. There's, like, one or two minorities type thing. It's very, very cliche. The the whole first act of the movie, nothing happens of any note. They go to a cabin. They're in separate rooms. Like, you know, you you know where this is going, basically. (laughs) In the second act, it goes completely in a different direction. Like, completely. It is genre-bending, just complete paradigm shift, and goes in a way that you absolutely cannot imagine. Um, it, it turns basically into, like, a sci-fi thriller, like you would not believe. There are so many different creatures, so many different monsters, if you will, that are added to this movie as it goes on. It is absolutely wild. You have to watch it. Very, very cool. You know, if you, are, you really like uh, genre-bending films by any chance, just as a, a quick aside? Like, did you find them interesting? You're watching a movie and all of a sudden it takes, takes a total, like, uh, 180 and it goes in a different yes. direction? Here's one for you. It's from 1996. It's called From Dusk Till Dawn. And is this it, a vampire movie? Yes, it starts out and it's like uh, Tarantino is in it and and, uh, and it's directed by Robert Rodriguez and it's him and George Clooney and they're bank robbers and then they, they rob this bank and they take someone hostage and then Tarantino's character kills her and all this and they take it off, they're trying to get into Mexico and you're thinking, okay, it's like a heist movie, right? And then right. all of a sudden they get across the border, they get into this bar and they're in the bar and they're having a couple of drinks and all of a sudden everyone in the bar turns into vampires. 
and they all start like attacking everybody and it's like whoa what the heck it's like it's like half the movie it just totally just takes a, a complete 180 but anyway so yeah. just just tuck that one away if you like those kind of things okay. um okay so that's your number five uh, my number five i'd like to you prefaced it i want to do a preface as well Okay, so I just want to mention that I, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again, I'm sure, on this you know podcast as we go on. Um, I think Jaws is one of the greatest movies ever made, ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't necessarily classify it as a horror movie. You know, like, I consider it to be more like a thriller than, than a true horror movie. So right. although I think it's one of the best movies ever made, it's I'm not going to put it on this list. Okay, so I just want to preface things by saying that, all right? Okay, fair enough. So number five for me, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, please keep in mind, I'm talking about the 1974 movie, not that piece of reimagining crap that came out in 2003, (laughs) like with Jessica Biel, I think it was. Um, There's only one Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's the original movie. And let me tell you, it was awesome. Toby Hooper's direction is amazing. And it's like really minimalistic. And it almost comes off like a documentary. And and, fun, and funny enough, the producers actually marketed it. They, they they said it's based on a true story. They even say that at the beginning of the film, but it wasn't. Um, it was inspired by um, Ed Gein, who was a serial killer in Wisconsin, like in the 50s. But he's been the inspiration for like several movies, like Silence of the Lambs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie, the funny thing was, so, so the idea of using a chainsaw for the killings was an inspiration, actually, that Toby Hooper got. He was in line at a hardware store, and it was really, really, really busy. And he looked over on the shelf and he saw a chainsaw sitting there for sale. And he thought, boy, you know what? Now, that would be a great way to get to the front of the line here. And it just gave him the inspiration in the, for the movie. True story. Yeah, um, that's dark. I know. But uh, anyway, like so, so be, because they, they promoted the movie based on a true story, and like I said, it even said that in the opening credits, people were scared out of their wits. And it's funny, you know, a lot of the metaphors of the movie are kind of based on the, the political climate at the time. Like Toby Hooper's even said, he lied about the movie being based on a true story because at the time, the government was lying about everything, like with Watergate. So he was just keeping with the times, you know? And I always it think... It was in vogue, yeah. I think the best horror movies are those that are in tune with the current political climate. And I'm telling you, no horror movie personified sort of that downbeat climate of the early 70s like this movie did. And for that reason, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is number five on my list. What's your number okay. four? Uh, well done. All right. Um, I've not seen it, but I know that makes me a bad human being for having not seen it. I will see it. Uh, the number four for me is Let the Right One In from 2008. Have you seen it? I'm familiar with it, but I have not seen it. Oh, you got to see it. Okay. okay. So, one, you, you just use this adjective to describe your last movie, and I use it a lot because it's one of the things I look for in horror movies, and it's minimalism. I'm looking for something that's completely stripped down, that's very, very simple. There's not a lot of CGI or anything like that, but it still gets its point across, and it elicits like a very strong emotional response from its audience. That's what I'm looking for, right? Anybody, you know, with computers today, we've talked about this on, in past episodes. It takes away a lot of the imagination factor because you're just looking at it and you're interpreting what you see on your screen. Uh, so let the right one in. It's basically it's a uh, I don't know if I want it, to. It's it's about a vampire basically, but okay. it's not immediately clear. Um, but it it follows the life of this twelve year old boy. He's living in Stockholm in like a little neighborhood outside there. And long story short, he's bullied by people at school and stuff like that. And he befriends this girl, this twelve year old girl that lives next to him. Come to find out, she's obviously a vampire, and she 
seeks vengeance on all these people who have tormented this kid. The ending, I'm not going to give it away. It takes place in a pool. It is absolutely fantastic. Literally, like, just sends shivers up your spine. It is fantastic, Chris. Absolutely fantastic. Um, if you look on a lot of, like, the best of, you know, the decade or the, the, you know, the AFI top horror films and stuff like that, it makes almost every single list. It's absolutely fantastic. Perfect. I will definitely check it out. The good thing about doing this podcast is every week, it almost seems like I have homework to do. I've got to go see these movies that you tell yep. me about. You've got to do stuff. you got to go see these movies, I tell you. Okay, sure. um, number four for me, I'm going to go with Halloween from 1978. Um, and, you know, the thing is, it's another one of those movies that had a reimagining. I think it was in 2007 by, by Rob Zombie of all people. But uh, I tell you what, don't be swayed by the reboot or any of the the umpteen sequels that it's had. John Carpenter's original Halloween is one of the best horror movies ever made. I mean, it it sort of spawned decades of teen slasher films, but none of them even come close to this movie in terms of the story and the suspense. The movie was made for $300,000. There's a, no special attack, effects in it at all. And actually, there's very little gore in it, too. Um, even the theme was composed by John Carpenter and you know it just goes to show it doesn't take a really big budget to be effective and that's definitely the case with this movie and the other thing too is it it created a career for Jamie Lee Curtis as she became the screen queen of the 1980s and Mm -hmm. and she definitely had the pedigree for it I mean her dad was actor Tony Curtis but most importantly her mom was Janet Lee from Psycho and the thing was after this wait what yeah her her mom's Janet Lee from Psycho Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I said, oh, she's, she's got Hollywood pedigree, right? Um, I didn't know that. And the thing was, once this movie came out, it, it slasher movies then became like, you know, all the rage in the 80s, you know? And it was like teens having sex and getting killed by mindless killers. But none of them comes close to this movie, Halloween from 1978, especially in terms of um, just its effectiveness and, and especially in terms of being scary. This movie was awesome. That's my number four. What's your three? All right, my number three is The Descent from oh, 2005. Oh, here's one. I like that one. That's yeah. the, that's the females that are going down in the cave, right? Oh, yes, oh, I like that it's movie. It's an all-girl cast. Ooh, that was um, a good movie, yep. Yeah, it's, it's one of those movies where uh, whenever you're first watching it at the beginning, it starts off a little slow. I feel like the acting is a little spotty in, in certain parts and stuff. Uh, the, the the dialogue isn't particularly strong in the first act of the of the movie. But as it goes on, it's, it's all about these women. Obviously, they go spelunking i guess Mm -hmm. you can call it they go exploring caves and uh obviously there's something bad and creepy down in the caves and stuff and it's it's picking them off and some of the the best uh use of one of the most you know primitive feelings you know that elicits fear in a human being that you can possibly have which is claustrophobia and i remember watching it it literally made me think of the the first time i ever felt that effect for myself long story short my brother and i we shared a room until we were like 16 years old and one time he locked me in a foot locker, like a little chest thing that sat at the foot of our bed and, you know, popped the lock on it, threw a blanket over it and walked downstairs. And I literally lost it, like completely freaked out because I was totally confined, couldn't see anything like that. So watching this movie, it just like channeled that that inner claustrophobic. You can't breathe. You can't get out. You're stuck underground Add all these crazy, crazy monsters. Like it is, it's fantastically well done. Um, it's just the villains in that. I I can't even remember what they're called. They're like walkers or, or crawlers, something like that. But it's it's an absolutely fantastic movie. So the descent from two thousand five. There's a second remake to it, which isn't as good, like a part two almost. But the first one from two thousand five is the one you want to see. Oh, that that is a good one. I agree. Okay, my number three. I'm going all the way back to nineteen sixty nine. The night of the living dead and it's another one that was made like on a shoestring budget they started out with only six grand as a budget now they eventually pushed it up to like over 100 grand or so in total cost to make it but Mm -hmm. this movie man it is 
amazing. It's amazing. It's got this kind of grainy look and feel to it. And so it's got obviously the dead are rising from their graves and it deals with issues like cannibalism and claustrophobia, like you mentioned. Um, one of the best parts of the movie for me is that the whole theme is that when a group of people are locked up in a farmhouse together with zombies outside, the real conflict comes from within. And they argue, they fight with each other, and it all starts to go downhill. I love that. I also love the fact that the main hero in the movie is portrayed by a black actor, which was groundbreaking, you know, back in 1969, right? Mm -hmm. And the end of the movie, dude, it is one of the most iconic endings to any movie I've ever, ever seen. I'm not going to ruin anything for you in case, you know, you haven't seen it. But I'll just, the only thing I'll say is it, the end of the movie will stay with you for a long time after you're done watching it. Movie is amazing. Amazing. The Night of the Living Dead. Okay. All right. Good number recommendation. Two. Yep. Uh, number two. So number two for me is 28 Days Later from 2002. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's directed by Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, fans of the genre and, and critics and just the general public, uh, they basically credit this film for completely reinvigorating the entire genre, the entire, you know, zombie thriller type of horror movie. Um, and this, after this movie came out, it was, you know, a huge box office success, like surprisingly so. It created like tons and tons of copycats immediately after it. So like for two or three years, all the summer blockbusters or wannabe blockbusters were all kind of like in the same, you know, a cut of the same cloth, but weren't quite as successful, obviously. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic thriller, which I love. It's one of my favorite types of movies. Um, the origin story itself is actually kind of unique because it starts out by a, a bunch of animal rights activists. They break into a lab and release a chimpanzee. They think they're doing something good for you know all of society and for you know animal kind, but obviously it doesn't work out like that. Um, just chronicling, you know, the like you talked about, like the more so the problem isn't just whatever creature or, or, or epidemic that they're facing. It's also within themselves. It's a lot of inward kind of crazy you know stuff going on and it makes you question how you would react in those situations and, and and what's what how you would just handle you know an absolute end of the world um some of the scenes in it are really really grotesque some of the cinematography is absolutely amazing like you want to talk about copycats i know everything is a remix and they've probably pulled it from other films that you've mentioned that you know occurred 20 30 years earlier but i think it's just such a fantastically well done horror movie from beginning to end so 28 days later is my number two yeah and it's funny that you piggybacked it with my night of the living dead which was a zombie movie as well because Mm -hmm. in 28 days later one of the key things was was that the zombies moved fast right yes like they were like those slow walking you know zombies like that you think of from the old movies like they they move fast and i think the other thing that that kind of got me about that movie was you could get infected even by not getting bit right yes like any, so it just made it even scarier of a, of a situation so no that's a definitely a good pick uh okay so my number two i'm gonna go with the exorcist from 1974 i tell you what if the point of a horror movie and it should be is to scare the crap out of people and The Exorcist does that better than any movie in history. I, I, when it came out in 74, people were throwing up in the aisles. They mm-hmm. were People were running out of the theater. Some theaters had to call paramedics for people that had fainted. <laughs> Not kidding. People had fainted or people went into hysterics because of watching the movie. It was craziness. And I think when you touch on themes like religion, people get kind of funny about it, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And when it involves the devil taking over the body of a 12-year-old girl, people just go nuts right yeah. so yeah. so like there was the vomiting there, there's bleeding statues there's scars the scene with the crucifix like 
This is the kind of stuff that gets audiences really, mm-hmm. really riled up, right? And it's also the stuff that, you know, scares the crap out of people. So that's exactly what The Exorcist did. And and just as a side, like some really cool things with that movie. In this, there's I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, I actually have seen this one. Good. So you know that you know the scene where, where Reagan vomits on the priest, right? With yes. the projectile vomit. It yes. was supposed to hit him in the chest, but the tube, it, like it was in a tube, and it came out and it squeezed and it shot out and it misfired and hit him right in the face. And he's oh. all he's all disgusted and he's wiping it away. And that's the actor, right? And, and it was um, uh, Jason Miller was the actor, and he was really he was really mad that that happened. But they left that scene in the movie. I mean, it was perfect though. Like oh, it was awesome. a, he, he literally the pulls the glasses off, and yep. he's just yep. like he almost like he's been through it before. Like you get the feeling like mm-hmm. this is a, this guy has really done exorcisms before. Like he's not happy about it, but this is all familiar to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, and pro- I, it, and probably it's perfect. Based, that he just ran with it, and it was probably just his reaction was just that he was mad that it happened. Like he was just like, oh jeez, I can't believe this just happened. Whereas it came off as like, oh here we go, here we go again, right? Um, so yeah, they definitely they left that in there it was really good. I, I I you know if you you'd think that a movie about a young girl getting possessed by the devil might not become like a mainstream hit. But if you if you take into account inflation, The Exorcist is the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. And for those all those reasons I mentioned, that's why it's number two for me. Okay, on to number one. Yancey, what, what is your, your top horror movie of all time? I just wanted to say that, like I said, I did see The Exorcist and like you were talking about, it's not just a horror in that, you know, it's actually terrifying people, but it literally gives you that like physical feeling of complete sickness. Yeah. Like un- unlike anything I've ever experienced, I, I don't get scared. I, I, I tell people this, I think I'm just trying to, you know, present some false bravado, but like, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid of monsters. I don't believe in ghosts. None of these things. I have nothing physical like that, that, that scares me, but that movie literally terrified me. Like you would not believe I saw it maybe a year ago. Cause my wife's like, listen, you need to see it just to see it. You know, you need yeah. to be able to say that you've seen this movie. It's, it's important. Yeah. And so I watched it one night while she was sleeping and I didn't want to go to bed. <laughs> I did not want to go to bed. I was like, well, no. And, and Linda Blair, her performance is so jarring that it killed her career she never yeah. could have a career after that you talk about being typecast it was funny enough she's going to be at fan expo that i'm going to in september i'm definitely gonna to have to try and run into her for sure um but anyway so on to your number one what do you got yeah. for us this is this sorry for that tangent no no yeah. problem it's all oh, that's awesome all right, I'm so number one uh 1999 was a fantastic year for movies a lot of a lot of really really good movies that i've seen and it love was. And still it, watch, it's know. funny that you mentioned that i agree with you sorry 1999 was phenomenal for movies and i think i know exactly where you're going yeah, so uh, this movie was written and directed by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, here's that term, minimalism. Like, it completely encapsulates what it means to make a minimalistic film. Um, for a while, this was actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for the highest return on investment for a film. So it only costs, you know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but say 100000 or $200,000 to make. And it ended up grossing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And that film is the Blair Witch Project. Um, <laughs> this film works. I think because it focuses on building on our most primal fear, like it's it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of the woods. You know, for thousands of years, we've been trained that, you know, there are animals and predators inside the woods and you know, you need to avoid them. And this whole movie is just about these these three people just wandering through the woods. And uh, it builds on that. And it's it's our it's our fear of the dark and, you know, just this overall fear of the unknown. The the build up to it is they literally just give you a couple little pieces here and there of this storyline that you're kind of building on and you're just you're constantly waiting for something to happen and then the the ending i don't want to give it away because it's just fantastic but 
the, the ending is one of the most perfect endings to a film, like you were talking about earlier, that I have ever seen. It, where it leaves so much up for interpretation, but regardless of how you do interpret that ending, it it triggers this like insane response within you. Like there are so many different fan theories and there's whole websites devoted to what actually happened that I, I think it's something that will never be perfectly resolved. And even the writers themselves have done such an amazing job at kind of keeping it hush and letting that that uncertainty live and just kind of, you know, just build up over the years. Um, so Blair Witch Project is is my number one horror film. Okay, so two things on Blair Witch Project. It was made for sixty grand, and that's it nice. and it grossed just under two hundred fifty million dollars. So that's pretty nice. Not a bad return on investment, that's for sure. <laughs> so I okay. So you you do mention the ending of the movie, and the ending of the movie can be construed as quite ambiguous. So what would you like to share? What your take is? I know what my take is. What's your take on the end of the movie? Okay, so this is actually going to ruin our, our next uh, trivia question, but I'll just go ahead and throw oh, it out okay. there. Oh, okay. If you don't want to, oh. why don't we just no, no, say no, it? No, it's fine. Let's okay. do it. Um, right. So I think that, obviously, they, they, they allude to a character earlier who uh, this Blair Witch had basically somehow gotten control of, and she would force this man to bring children out in pairs into the, the woods and would make them, uh, you know, bring them into the home or whatever, and he would kill them one by one. But the guy was uncomfortable with watching or knowing that one child was watching him kill the sibling, so he would face them in the corner. So I think that the ending is basically you see a girl standing in a corner. It was the guy. The guy. Or I'm sorry, the guy, rather. And that's basically – I I don't know if it's the witch or if it's the guy who's still somehow under her control, but – it's like this really – like you said, it's a super ambiguous thing. But either way, like just seeing her in the corner, like you know everybody's dead, right? Like has officially hit the fan and everybody's dying. That's 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 what's so perfect about it. You don't know if it's the witch. You don't know if it's – there's a possibility that it's even uh, a member of the, the crew themselves, one of the three, that you know the Blair Witch was actually controlling one of them to bring them into the house. There's all kinds of things. Right, that because Josh left, but you heard him calling. Right. Them. So you're right. right. Very, very good. Very good. Yep. No, I yep. agree. It was definitely, a, definitely a, a great movie. And the other thing too is, it, you know, the, the really, really good movies, especially horror movies, they spawn sort of remakes and they spawn a sort of new genres. And that movie definitely spawned uh, the idea of found footage, right? The found footage movie, like movie right. that you, yeah, you, you, lost you, footage. Yeah, yeah, this found this lost footage. Oh my God, look what we found on these tapes. Look what look what happened to these kids, right? So that's definitely cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, my number one, going back a little ways, going back all the way to 1960. This is Psycho. And I tell you, when it comes to directors, there's obviously, you know, lots of examples of movie directors that have had, you know, a huge impact, you know, throughout history of film. Like guys like Lucas and Spielberg, you know, and Lean, Curtiz, Coppola, Tarantino, I could go on forever. But no director has had more impact and no director was more influential than Alfred Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. His style is like unparalleled in movie history. And he's been imitated many times, never duplicated, as the saying goes. Um, And he was never better than when he made Psycho in 1960. Every single slasher movie ever made owes its roots to this movie. Um, But the thing is, unlike sort of like the gajillions of copycat horror movies that have made, you know, that have come out since Psycho, Psycho stands alone because it's it's just so strong on so many friends. It's got intrigue. It's got a great story. You're watching along as this kind of desperate woman in the in the, the lead character in the movie. Uh, she's having it, and it's J- Janet Lee, just as we mentioned previously. She's in it, and she's having an affair, right? And then she needs money, so she steals money from her work, and she takes off in a car, and she leaves town. 
and she's driving out in the middle of nowhere and, and it gets to be night so she pulls over at this old hotel meets this mild-mannered clerk who runs a place right and mm-hmm. they have a conversation and then she realizes that running away isn't the answer she decides she needs to go back in the morning return the money and just set everything straight you know so she goes to her room and she jumps in the shower and she's promptly hacked to death by an old woman with a butcher knife and the shower scene in psycho it is probably the single most iconic scene in movie history for lots of good reasons too Mm -hmm. like like for starters the lead character you've been following along with is suddenly killed off halfway through the movie like that that's that was unheard of in Mm -hmm. a movie so hitchcock basically pulls the rug out from under you and he does it in like this shocking way like the death was violent and gruesome and then her lifeless body's laying there as blood swirls down the drain the camera closes in on her open eye like it's just amazing it's an amazing scene and it's the funny thing is it's often referred to as like the goriest scene in movie history but there's no gore it's, no, shot, it's shot in black and white you don't even see red blood right mm-hmm. and and like i say best of all for me the movie's only half over and and then this horrific thing happens but then the cool thing is is now there's half the movie left so you get to see kind of what unfurls in terms of the murder and the old woman that murders her and it's just amazing like before psycho came out horror movies you got to put things in context context of the time that they're they're set right when it came out horror movies were basically monster movies like there's frankenstein you know creature from the black lagoon godzilla but all of a sudden hitchcock comes along and basically what he's saying is is what if the monster was just inside one man's head chris have you seen vertigo but absolutely. Oh, Have yes, you seen I, what he did with Vertigo? Oh, it's fantastic. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. It was. Every, almost all of his films stand alone. Even if you go back, you can go back as far as his black and white movies. You can go back as far as he actually did a silent picture called Blackmail, which then he remade. And it's just brilliant. You watch the silent film that he did. It's just amazing. One of my favorites of his was actually Strangers on a Train. I love Strangers on a Train. The back and forth and the zigzag. And if, you, if you're not familiar with Strangers on a Train, have you ever heard of Throw Mama from the Train? Movie from the 80s? Oh, okay, it's a movie from the 80s. It's kind of like a remake of it. But Strangers on a Train is one of his best movies, just in terms of plot and intrigue and shots and all that kind of stuff. But but Psycho is, is number one. His number one movie, it's the number one horror movie of all time. And the thing is, because of all those things that I mentioned, like the movie, you know, like the, the heroine dying halfway through and all this shocking stuff, and the thing is, <clears throat> audiences will never, ever experience that feeling again. Because Hitchcock caught him off guard. And basically made you look at monsters a whole new way, right? There's never, ever going to be another movie like it. It, it, it. As far as I'm concerned, it changed the way movies are made. It changed sort of that linear storytelling that Hollywood had, you know, had used for decades. It's the greatest horror movie of all time, and it always will be as far as I'm concerned. You know what? That's our list. I tell you what, I mean, I'm sure you're going to have some arguments with the list. And if you do, reach out to us on Twitter, at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. McBrien is I-E-N or at Yancey Eaton, like I mentioned. Or you can shoot us an email, chris at popgoesyourworld.com or yancy at popgoesyourworld.com but I'm just curious so as a millennial and like I said horror movies are you know as popular as ever and even more so with your generation what do you think it is that what are, what are the kind of the elements that make a horror movie great like I'm, I'm curious I want to know because I've got my opinion and I want to know if it's changed over the years so for you what are the elements that make a horror movie awesome so I don't I don't necessarily have my finger on the pulse of, of this generation simply because most of the things that they do gravitate towards in film, I don't express that same desire, that same you know mutual interest in it. Um, kids are not kids, but anybody that goes to horror movies these days, I would say ninety five percent of them are absolutely terrible. And by design, they it's easy to make a trailer 
that will fit, you know, in the 30 second commercial that will, will, will look super scary and enticing and you'll want to go see it. And they can make very, very low production movies and make a huge return on investment with, you know, a, a, with a basically a really movie. Um, so most of them are bad and finding the good ones and having to wade through all the crap is really, really difficult for me. I'm always looking for movies that, you know, shift paradigms where they they take you somewhere where you don't think they're going to go you know like whenever you're in the middle of the second act and you already know how the movie's going to end you know which character is going to survive you know the first people that's going to die you already kind of understand exactly what's going with the film those are movies i have no interest in and to be honest with you most of the time i i won't even finish those movies out um but i'm looking for something that challenges you mentally that you're constantly thinking about what's what's going on here and more so playing a mental game and not just like a, you know, got them like jump from behind a corner, you know, music builds up. It's really cheesy. And you can tell that, Hey, somebody's going to jump out from behind a corner kind of things. I, I, I hate those shocker gotcha movies. Like there's, they're, they're so cheap. They're so easy to do. And, and they're in, they're so prevalent in every single horror movie today. Like all those movies you, you mentioned, Chris, I think if you stack them up with, with most of the, the, you know, all timer list from the last ten or fifteen years, they're just going to be weighted so much higher. They're they're going to be placed up so much higher on that list because it, it's it, it's just like with with a lot of music and in in other forms of pop culture. I don't really think it can compare with some of the stuff that was made thirty and forty years ago. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like for me, the best horror movies, as I kind of alluded to this earlier, the best horror movies are those that are kind of rooted in the paranoia of the time that they're made, and that that's the, the key. You got to go back and kind of see when a movie was made and really kind of get you know kind of dig into the history. Like if you get a chance, um, go back and watch um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's from 1956. Uh, it's about these pod people that come down and they basically take over bodies of human beings. So you don't know who's been taken over. And who hasn't? You don't know who's on your side and who isn't. It could be your neighbor. It could be your friend. It could be your family. And the reason why the movie was so scary and why it resonated with audiences so much at the time was because if you look in the early 50s, in the mid 50s, there was the Red Scare. People were paranoid mm -hmm. of, of communists. Of their neighbors. And yeah, because of McCarthyism, people were afraid. You're right. that Their friends or neighbors and their family members might be communists. So people were turning in their friends and their family. And it was just a time of like deep-rooted fear and that movie embodied it perfectly and that's why they remade the movie in 1978 it bombed because the filmmakers in, in 78 they thought it would play you know because there was a growing fear of communism again in the 70s mm -hmm. but people weren't afraid of their neighbors becoming communists in the 70s in the 70s and 80s people were afraid of the soviet union and that's why movies like the day after were way more scarier with audience of the day i always say horror films are always at their best when they when they reflect the prevailing fears of the public at large and there's tons of examples of that throughout history and, and all horror movies are they're just basically metaphors for what's going on in, in society think about it after the sexual revolution people were afraid of sexually transmitted diseases and aids and horror films around that time were all about teenagers having sex and getting killed you know and wow. and, and think about it no nobody in 1978 is going to relate to a movie about consumerism Nobody, right? unless it's a bunch of zombies that take over a mall and attack people from there, you know, like they did in Dawn of the Dead. And, and, and think, it's not even just the United States either. If you look at Japan, you know, you think of the unspeakable horror of atomic bombs. They're personified by Godzilla, a monster who storms through cities and destroys them by breathing fire, right? So I think sometimes people think horror movies are just diversions, and, and a lot of them are, like the crappy ones anyway. But I think the real ones, the ones that have a lasting impact 
are always about what's going on in real life. They reflect society in some way. They're based on fears and, you know, and things like that. And, you know, judging by what's going on south of the border, we might see a lot of horror movies coming out again pretty soon. But uh, anyway, uh, time right now to have some fun with Yancey. Okay, over to you, my friend. All right, really quickly, I just want to pour a shot to the ground for my lost homie. We didn't mention The Shining at all today. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? The thing is, here's the thing. Okay, in all honesty, I had it on my top five, and I was like, I was so close, but the other ones really just pushed ahead. The Shining, for me, would be number six on the list. Full disclosure, it's really, really close. I thought it was really, really good. I thought it dealt with a lot of really, really cool issues. Isolationism, you know, like being out in the middle of nowhere, slowly going crazy, seeing ghosts, you know. There was the telepathic stuff that was going on and all that. And then there's just madness like when the scene when he hits scatman crothers with the axe and all that stuff and then chasing the family and there's so many iconic things right like here's johnny and all that stuff and but you think about like at the time when it first came out stephen king didn't even like the movie you know he really yeah he goes i don't like that it's not a good adaptation of my book and and it wasn't an instant hit it kind of took a while to kind of grow into a hit and it eventually did become quite a bit of a hit but it took a little bit of time to do so but yeah there's definitely iconic stuff in there you know like the red rum red rum and all that kind of stuff it's really close it's number six for me so it just fell out because yeah we're probably going to hear it from people so yeah fair enough uh, anyway. we, had to give, we had to give it a little bit of a plug so. got to give it some got to give it some love you're right all right okay. so trivia you all ready? yours yep go for it Okay, so have you – you remember we we mentioned uh, Blair Witch Project, so I'm going to reword this question just a little bit. This is a long shot, uh, but let's go with it. Do you happen to remember the name of the man that was influenced by the Blair Witch in the film, the man who would lure the children into the home? Oh, no, no, I don't remember. They mentioned it two or three times, but uh, his name is Rustin Parr. No, no, I haven't remembered it. No, no. Okay, fair enough. Oh, another aside too, the uh, the, the three actors in the movie, I think it's um, Heather – Heather Donahue, Donahue. And, yep. and Michael and Joshua, because they all use the real names in the movie, right? Um, they're all going to be at Fan Expo in Toronto, too. On the really? Yeah, i got to run into those guys. I'll, I'll get a picture for you, okay? Okay, fair enough. Okay, have you seen Scream? Mm-hmm. All right, so what is the name of the actual yep. character, Scream? Oh, Jeepers, that's a great one. And, and I love that movie, too, because it was um, it was like a parody. That's the one. That's the thing that made that thing successful, because mm-hmm. after a long run of like slasher movies, the genre had become boring. The genre had become kind of, you know, tired. dated and tired, exactly. So that one came out, and it was basically a spoof of horror movies, which made it so good. Um, and also the fact that it starred lots of famous people, as opposed to unknowns. I don't know. I don't remember. It was Father Death. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, Father Death. Okay. All right. Can you name the writer of An American Werewolf in London? Um, well, the director was uh, John Landis, but was the writer, will I go with? I'll go with John Landis and say he wrote it, too. Yep, you got it. Damn. Yes. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see what other questions we have right here. All right. So what specific thing in common do the movie Silent Hill, House of the Dead, and Resident Evil all have in common? Um, they all haunted houses? No. No. Something else you can uh, possibly gravitate towards? Uh, ghosts? Nope. Okay. You got me. All three, Silent Hill, House of the Dead, and Resident Evil, were actually video games first that were then turned into movies. Oh, so there you go. Wow, there you go. I thought Resident Evil would have given that away, but I guess not. yeah, no. All right, so what is the name of the demon from The Exorcist that is used to contact Reagan? The demon that is used to contact Reagan. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to. Come on. You have to know this. I don't know it. I can't remember. It's uh, it's Captain Howdy. Oh, okay. Jeez. Oh, man. That's a good one. You're making it yeah. really hard on me this week. Good for yeah. you. Yeah, good for me. Yeah. 
Honestly, I'm I'm just tired of getting dusted by you. Those three weeks, <laughs> well, to be honest. Go. Well, I got I got John Landis, so I got that yeah. for me. Yeah, that was that was pretty impressive. Thanks. All right, so Zombieland, you know, it came out a few years ago. It's not it's like you said, it's not exactly a horror movie. Just like Jaws isn't necessarily a horror movie, right. but it has a lot of horror aspects. It's kind of genre bending. Yep. Um, can you name any of the thirty plus rules of Zombieland that are mentioned throughout the entire movie? Any no. any rule? You, um, you don't mention Fight Club. No. <laughs> he talks about rules all the time. There's something simple as having a buddy, using the buddy system, doing cardio, uh, you know, double don't, tying your shoelaces. Don't ride. It's, it's don't, literally a theme throughout the entire movie. But I was going to give you credit if you could get just one. Don't and, ride the Ferris wheel at night. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Is that one? I don't know because it didn't take place in a in a, like a music park. It says something about that, but there, like I said, there's only 35. I'll give you half a point for that. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay. Good enough. Okay. Um, so what name, speaking of Jaws, what name did Spielberg give to the mechanical shark? Bruce. As a bonus tip. Bruce. Dude, said it. Bruce. Yeah. It was Bruce. Yep. <laughs> Here, yeah. I'll spin it. I'll spin it in a different light. Okay. Then, okay. Yeah. It was named so, after his accountant. I even know that. How bad is It was is actually that? a lawyer. Oh, it was his lawyer. I'm sorry. It was named after Pretty his sure lawyer. it was a lawyer. Yeah. Okay. So can you name the movie, an animated movie, where they actually named a shark after that shark? Absolutely. It was Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo, yeah, and he coined the famous phrase "fish are friends, not food," and that was also Bruce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, good job, yeah. good job. All right, this next question it says this grotesque 2009 Dutch film was inspired from a joke the writer had once made about the best way to punish convicted child molesters. What is the film? Uh, is it Hostel? No, but that is a good guess. Mm. Any I other guess? Mm, no. It's actually the human centipede. Oh, jeez. He talks about this in a video interview where they were asking him how, you know, how could a person come up with an idea to conjoin three people to mouth, basically. And uh, he literally said it was a conversation that he was having with friends about the proper way to handle convicted child molesters, which I thought was interesting. I I always relate it to the South Park episode where it was the human centipede. And it was Apple. <laughs> Apple put them all together. Do you remember? You ever see that episode? I I, I know. I've seen clips. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Got to make sure you read the fine print in that in that terms of agreement with Apple. Yeah. All right. So this next movie, yeah. uh, the first installment of it. So there's been subsequent movies released okay. since then, but the yeah. first installment was released in 2007, and uh, cost just fifteen thousand dollars to make and grossed a hundred and ninety three million dollars worldwide. What is the name of the movie? Uh, Paranormal Activity. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, nice. Fantastic. Okay. Yes. And last question. Last uh, what one. Is, okay. What is the name of the hotel in The Shining? Oh, it's the, uh, oh, jeepers, the over, over, over. Um, You're so close. Oh, Come it's, on. oh, the Overlook. Is it the Overlook? The Overlook. Overlook, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh, God. Well so done. I needed some help, but I, you know, thank you very much for giving me a little leeway on that one. It's been a long time since I saw that movie. Fantastic. I, I will say this. I had, I probably had three or four more questions, but we literally... Like you literally answered them during the show. So oh wow! I, so that's good. Uh, somebody I noticed on uh, iTunes, somebody had put a review of the show. And and by the way, thank you anybody that's out there that's listening to the show. If you're enjoying it, head over to iTunes and leave a review. We really appreciate. it. I was reading one of them and it said uh, Chris is like uh, like a bottomless pit of trivia. So mm-hmm. so that's kind of fun. So uh, but anyway, hey, listen, awesome stuff again. Just like last week, we could spend ten episodes 
doing horror movies. No two ways about it. Uh, and we'd still never touch base on all of them. If you want to reach out to us again on Twitter at C McBrien or at Yancey Eaton, shoot us an email, Chris at popgoesyourworld.com or Yancey at popgoesyourworld.com. Make sure you come back and join us again next week. Every week we're doing a different topic and bringing it to you with two different looks, obviously, one from a millennial, one from a Gen Xer. Hope you enjoyed the show. Join us again next week. Till then, this is Chris McBrien for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, a pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 